morning, everybody. Hello to those online as well. Back in 2017, Swansea, when we were still in the Premier League, we weren't doing very well. We were in the bottom three with five games to go, facing relegation. And in the last six games, they had lost five and drawn one. So they, things weren't looking very good. They weren't doing very well. When their captain, Leon Britton, had the idea, he'd been with the team for 15 years. He had joined as a 20-year-old when they were at the bottom of the very lowest division in the league. And he'd worked as, you know, he'd been in the team for 15 years, so they'd gone from the very bottom right up to the Premier League. He'd seen it all. And he went out and he bought all the players in the team a copy of the documentary film, uh, Jack to a King, which tells, you know, the Swansea story and how they went from the bottom to the top and interviews the backroom staff and the fans and local people and all that kind of stuff. And it's the, the story of their journey. And he said in an interview that since then, and since they've been in the Premier League, many of the players who had joined the team since had only been a part of the club when it had been successful. And they didn't know the story of where they'd come from and what they'd been through and what it meant to the city and what it meant to the locals and what it meant to the fans. And so we asked all the players and all the squad to watch the DVD and then the next game on the weekend, they won 2-0. And in the last five games, they won four, and they drew one against Manchester United, and they stayed in the Premier League successful. Isn't that amazing? So well done, Leon. He inspired them with the story. So have you ever noticed that sometimes in maybe organizations or in a business or in a club or even in nations and cities or as families, sometimes we have stories of things that have happened in our journey and they're more than just information of, oh, yeah, this happened and that happened. But they're stories that are kind of like foundations of who we are. It's like our, our, you know, our origin story or our defining story. And it says a bit about who we are and where we've come from and even why we do what we do. And um, the events of Moses' life that we've been looking in this series that we've done over the past few weeks how the Israelites escaped from Egypt. This became for them as a nation, their like foundation story, their defining story. It reminded them of their identity, of their purpose, of who they were and where they were going. And every year when the people would celebrate Passover, they would retell the story to one another, how God had rescued them powerfully and the miracles that they'd seen and that they'd been chosen and rescued for a purpose that they were meant to be a people who would reveal God's rescue and his love for the whole world and all the nations. And throughout the Old Testament, time and time again, we see how this story is referred to at crucial moments, whether a leader is like giving a speech or whether God is speaking to the people and he'll remind them, say, I'm the God who rescued from, from Egypt, who took you out of slavery, and this is who I've called you to be, or this is what I want you to do. And it was a foundation story in their lives. Now, for us as well, we've been looking at this story through the eyes of Moses, and he's like the central character. And so today, to sum up our series, we're going to have a little look at, well, what was Moses' legacy? What did he kind of like leave behind him, and what was he known for? And something that's interesting is the first five books of the Bible is um, sometimes in a, like shorthand, is referred to as the books of Moses, or sometimes the law of Moses. And these books aren't, you know, just a law. They actually tell a story. But sometimes they're referred to this in like a shorthand way. And these first five books tell the story of how God rescued a people and made a covenant with them. 
And this covenant is like a promise of partnership, a bit like Rowan and Owl have, who got married on the weekend. They made a covenant. It's a covenant relationship that they're going to do life together. They're going to have a future together, and they made vows. And this is what God did with his people. He was saying, you know, you're going to be my people, and we're going to make a covenant, and I'm going to bind myself to you, and I want you to be with me, and we're going to be in partnership to bring my good plans and rescue and love into the world. And Moses plays like the key part in this uh, and represents the people to God and God to the people. And so this kind of whole part of the Bible is almost, almost named after Moses. And then this a little information you're going to need for later, okay? So I'm going to say it now and then just put it on the shelf for the end of the talk. So the next kind of major section through the Old Testament or a big chunk of it the shorthand for that, so we've got like the five books of Moses or the law of Moses, and then another big section is known as the prophets. And this is how this shows and is the stories of how that covenant relationship played out and what happened. And the prophets were the ones that God would use to remind the people of what he had done and their calling for them. And uh, the kind of key character in this was Elijah. And so he's kind of like the shorthand for that part. So just store that away for later in the series. So today we're looking at what was Moses' legacy? What were some of the things he was remembered for? So much so that this whole kind of first part of the Bible is almost like named after him. So, oh, there's Elijah. Here we go. Next up. So, at the end of Deuteronomy, at the end of Moses' Moses's life, this is what it records about him. It says this. There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land. With mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of all Israel. So we'll unpack these two things a little bit. So first of all, Moses knew God face to face. And part of what Moses is remembered for is Moses was a friend of God. He knew God face to face. In Exodus 33, it says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And it's interesting in this because when Moses was first called by God, when God appeared to him in the burning bush and calls out to him and wants to send him back to Egypt, it says when Moses, Moses heard God's voice and realized that it was God speaking to him, it says when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. And so we see how Moses goes on this incredible journey uh, in his relationship with God and how it grows, how he gets to know God's character, his love, his justice, his compassion, his rescue. And he gets to know more of who God is over time as they partner together. And he goes from like hiding his face to meeting with God face to face. And as we've seen, this was a difficult journey for Moses and the people, taking on Pharaoh and the, like the world's strongest empire at the time, the Egyptian empire, this superpower who was keeping their family in brutal slavery. But Moses sees firsthand God's power at work. And in this experience, it draws them closer together. Maybe you've experienced something like that. Maybe you've been in a team at work or at university or in family life, and you're pursuing a goal together, or you've got obstacles to overcome and challenges to face. And how as you go through that journey together, how it draws you together, that shared experience of doing something together. And in the same way in our relationship with God, often it is in times 
of adversity, that we experience God's closeness in our lives, that we know that even, you know, in those moments, we know how faithful God is. We experience his presence with us, whether it's to bring peace to our hearts or strength to our resolve to carry on, whether it's wisdom for difficult situations and to know what to do, or whether it's miracles and answers to prayer. We see God faithful in these times in our lives, and it draws us closer, and we understand more of who he is. Or when we have moments where we step out in faith, and we go on like faith adventures and faith journeys with God. Do you remember in the days, the summers before COVID, like, I don't know, the three, four, five years before COVID times when we uh, joined in with churches all across Wales doing something that we called Mission to Wales. Do you remember? And we'd go out into the streets down into Swansea and Morrison High Street and people that we came across, we would share faith with them. We would talk to them about Jesus. We'd offer to pray for them. And like, I don't know about you, but, well, I, I do know about you because we're, I think we we're all in the same boat there. That was way out of our comfort zone, wasn't it? You know, just kind of a, a, approaching people at random, really, to chat with people. And it was, I, for me, it was definitely out of my comfort zone. But as we went out and we felt like God was prompting us to do this, we saw amazing things happen, didn't we? We had amazing conversations, some amazing answers to prayer. And it was it was scary and exciting all at the same time. I remember one time um, Tammy and Helen chatting to an a older lady outside Sports Direct down in town. She was getting some new trainers for uh, her running club or something. But anyway, she, um, she had arthritis. They were chatting to her, and they offered to pray for her because she had arthritis, and she was in pain. And uh, when they prayed for her, all of the pain left, and they shared Jesus with her, and she responded to accept Jesus into her life. And then when they gave her a little flyer for uh, something we were doing up at, uh, at Cornerstone here over in Penland, she said, oh, I know Cornerstone. I've been there loads of times. And it turns out her granddaughter used to come up to the clubs that we were running over in Penland. And when we would do our like, experience open days for the community and invite everyone, she'd been coming along to those for a number of years. But in and amongst all the crowd, she'd never responded to prayer or had that conversation before, you know, with so many people there. And so it was outside Sports Direct, you know, when Tammy and Helen approached her, that she had that opportunity to receive Jesus for herself and receive healing. And we had loads of amazing stories like that. Or a few years back when uh, a few of our youth, as they were back then, were in sixth form in Bishop Vaughan, and they'd been sharing faith with their friends and having conversations, and their friends had been asking questions and showing interest. And so they went to their teachers and asked, could we run an alpha in the school, and they ran an alpha together at lunchtime in the school, and all their friends came along. I remember one, one girl got healed, and she, her knee got healed. A few, few of them responded to Jesus and started going to their local churches, their Catholic churches that they were a part of, and the local priest said to you, didn't he, Chloe, one time, how they had an influx of young people. He didn't know where they came from, and Chloe did, because he'd been on the alpha with uh, Sam and Karis and Jonah, and they did it in their school. And they left a legacy as well, because we're still running Alpha in that school at the moment because of what they started. And this term, we've had 40 young people coming along every week. We're on week seven now, and, this, and they've been coming all the way through at lunchtime, and it's been a really great time. So well done, guys, for that adventure and showing courage. And uh, keep going. It's a great example. So with Moses, what's interesting about him was when God calls him, he was reluctant at first. He didn't want to go back to Egypt. And when God asked him four times, he said, like, no, effectively. Uh, this, this was the fourth time Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else, anyone else. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? 
So that's what I felt like when we were first doing the mission to Wales. But when we did it, then it was worth it. And we would do it again if we, God told us to. So Moses wasn't perfect. He could be rash. Sometimes he had a bit of a temper. He lashed out on a couple of occasions, and it proved costly for him. But ultimately, even when he made mistakes or when he lacked confidence, he got over those. He trusted God, and he chose to follow God step by step and to do the things that God called him to do. And as he did that, he discovered God as friend. And for us, as we follow Jesus, we know that Jesus calls us friend as well. He calls us his friends. Jesus said, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And in Revelation, John has a vision of Jesus, and he records him saying this. Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock at the door of our lives. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. And when we respond to this invitation, to this knock on the door of our lives from Jesus, to welcome him into our lives and to partner with him for our lives, to see the things that God wants to do through us, to bring his love and his goodness into our lives and through us to others, his Holy Spirit, God's very presence, comes to live within us and makes his home in our lives. And we have that continuous face-to-face, everyday relationship with Jesus. And we become carriers of this into our world for the good of others. Paul, uh, writing a letter to a church in Ephesus, says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And so Moses was a friend of God. But another phrase that was used for Moses which also kind of seems almost counterintuitive to that, was that Moses feared God. Now, last week, Sean explored how the Israelites escaped through the Red Sea when God parted it for them. And the Egyptian army was, you know, chasing after them, wanting to kill them, and they get washed away. And it says this, when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord And they put their trust in him and his servant Moses. And I can imagine that walking through the Red Sea, whilst probably being amazing and spectacular, and a rescue was probably quite scary as well. And in that first verse, isn't it, it said how Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of the people. And I can imagine it was quite scary. Like even when you, have you ever been down to Caswell or, you know, down to the Gow and you're having a swim? But if you're out on a day when the waves are huge and they're kind of like coming in over your head and it's it's loads of fun, but also, you know, you've got to to respect the sea as well. Now, I love that's what some of their like seafaring people have their own little sayings and phrases for that, don't they? You know, like surfers or sailors and things. Now, Tim Rowland, our resident surfer, he's a a fan of surf magazines and he often comes out with a nice little quote for me. Uh, This is one of his favorites, which he told me once when we were doing an internship together, surfing. It's not just a sport, it's a way of life. But um, So Tim, I've dug out a couple of famous surfers' quotes about the sea, okay? So see if you appreciate these. So one, a guy called Laird Hamilton, apparently he's like an all-time surfing great. He says this, if you don't understand the wave, you can't respect it. And if you don't have respect, it's only a matter of time before the ocean teaches you to get some. (laughs) <laughs> That's good, isn't it? 
<laughs> well, this is uh, another, another good one. Buzzy Trent, apparently a legend from the like 50s or whatever. He says, waves are not measured in feet and inches. They are measured in increments of fear. <laughs> I like that. I like that. But many times as you look through the Bible, you see that when people encounter God, how awesome and powerful he is, often their initial reaction is a bit like this. It's fear because God is powerful. But then what does God almost always say? Do not be afraid. So their response is like, oh my gosh, God is like, Phew. but God says to them, do not be afraid. And later we have this moment when the Israelites, they encounter God when they're following Moses at Mount Sinai. And it's one of those similar powerful moments. And Moses says to them, he says, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that you fear God and it will keep you from sinning. And so you see, there's a difference here between like being afraid, like actually being scared, like, oh, I'm scared of God. That's not what he's talking about. Because Moses says, you know, don't be afraid. And we know God is friend. We know God loves us and comes alongside us. And God says, you know, don't be afraid. But we see this phrase about fearing God. And it, you, know, you see how it means something different. Don't be afraid, but fear God. So they mean something else. And um, this is what it means. It's important that, so firstly, so we're not scared in the sense of like, you know, a child with a really scary, angry head teacher. That's not the picture of God that he wants us to have. But at the same time, it's recognizing that God is God. You know, that God is God. And we're not going like the other way and thinking of God as a friend, like our mate from school or our little brother. Because God is God. And we've got to maintain that healthy respect of who he is that he is powerful, and he's a God of justice, and truth, and integrity, and honesty, and love. And these things are important to God. And so we've got to take them seriously, and allow these things to be important to us as well. And our obedience to him is important, and it matters, because God is God. And Moses understood this, and he understood God as friend, but God as God. And uh, he knew him face to face, as friend and his love and compassion. And uh, Mo, uh, Pharaoh, on the other hand, we see how he lived with contempt for God. He lived, you know, the other way. When Moses comes to him with this message to let the Hebrews go, Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. He showed contempt for God. And then when these, um, you know, signs and wonders started to to occur in the land of Egypt, uh, Pharaoh would go to Moses and say, pray to the Lord for me, you know, pray that the frogs would stop or the gnats would stop, you know, pray and ask the Lord. And so Moses would pray and they would stop and Pharaoh would get his answer to prayer. And, you know, he knew now who God was and he'd get his answer to prayer. He even says to Moses one time, you know, bless me, bless me, get God to bless me and he'd get his blessing from God. But then what would he do? He would just go back and carry on as he did before and he showed contempt for God. And in the Egyptian culture, the pharaohs were seen as God. Pharaoh's like, who is the Lord? He saw himself as a God. You know, I'm a God. I'm divine. And so when he, you know, decides to kill all the Hebrew boys, well, he can because he sees himself as a God. And that's right in my eyes. And in this story, Moses is kind of like, uh, sorry, Pharaoh is kind of like the height of rebellion against God and the height of evil being kind of enacted through a human being. But it's this pursuit of evil, despite God's warnings, 
that ultimately becomes his downfall because Pharaoh goes too far. Now, the sea in the ancient world was often used to symbolize death. Like we saw earlier, you know, the sea is dangerous, and that's kind of how it was often like used. It was chaotic, and it was uncontrollable, and it kind of symbolized death. So when Moses and the Israelites are at the edge of the Red Sea, and they look behind them, and they got Pharaoh's army charging towards them with the intent of wiping them out, you know, they are literally at the edges of death and facing death. And in that moment, God provides a rescue through the sea and creates a pathway for them through the sea. So what this is showing in like a picture language is that he creates a path for them through death into life. They walk through death and into life out the other side. And it's something that only God can do. And by trusting in God and putting their faith through them, him, they walk through death, through the sea, and into life the other side to a new life. Whereas Pharaoh, on the other hand, he just comes and charges his army into the sea, but not trusted in God, but with the intent to pursue evil and to murder and to kill. And so what happens when they charge into the sea? The sea falls back on them into its normal place, and it wipes them out. And so Pharaoh is like the architect of his own downfall. He charges, you know, into the sea, into death himself because of what he's pursuing and what his goal is. And um, this picture, this story gives us a picture of how Jesus has rescued us, how God came into the world himself as a man to rescue humanity, to bring us life, to restore our relationship with God. But when the political and religious leaders see what Jesus is doing and how people are beginning to follow him, they get jealous and they decide to kill him. And they're backed by the spiritual powers of darkness and Satan and the demonic and evil in our broken world. And it's like they see their opportunity. Here's the son of God. Now's our chance to get rid of him. He's, he's in a, you know, he's come as a human. He's weak. Let's kill him. And so they kill him and he's killed on the cross. But that act of murder becomes their own undoing because Jesus, God's own son, innocent, never losing that connection with the source of life, God who created our universe. So he's killed, but death can't contain him because he is life. And so he is raised to life again and goes through death into life, creating a pathway through death into life. And he defeats the power of death. He defeats the power of evil. He breaks the power of sin and its stranglehold, its slavery that it keeps humanity in, in our world. He defeats it. And so for the enemy, it's his own going too far and trying to, and seeking to kill Jesus becomes his own undoing. And it's through that that Jesus has victory. And it's a victory for us that as we put our faith in him, our trust in him, he brings his spirit into our lives. He makes us alive to God. We're forgiven. We have a new start. And he's created a path for us through death into life so that death is not the end, but we receive the gift of eternal life because of what Jesus has done. Isn't that amazing? So, finally, the third thing in Moses' legacy is that Moses has an encounter with Jesus and is a little part of Jesus' story. And this kind of brings these two points, how Moses was a friend of God, but how Moses had the fear of God in, in a healthy way. It brings it home for us. So let's have a little look. So there's this moment in Jesus' life. He'd been traveling around Galilee. It was kind of the... The early days, he'd been teaching and preaching, healing people. 
gathering followers and disciples. And people were beginning to notice this Jesus. And they were asking the question, who exactly is this Jesus? Who is he? What's he about? What's he come to do? What are we to make of him? And it's a bit of a turning point in Jesus' life where he goes from this early ministry and gathering followers, and now he's beginning to turn his attention to the cross and to like this, this part of his mission. So as this is all going on, this is what happens next. It says this in Luke chapter 9. It says, about eight days later, Jesus took Peter and John and James up a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. And they were glorious to see. And they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. So in this moment, suddenly Jesus is revealed for who he really is. That yes, he's a man, fully man, been hanging around with Peter, James, and John, but also he is fully God. And they suddenly get this glimpse of like Jesus' his glory and his power. And, he becomes, and the way it's shown is he becomes dazzling white. And it's interesting that, you know, when we did the Imagine Heaven series, which you can still see on our website, where it kind of um, explored people's stories who had near-death experiences when they'd kind of maybe been in, a, in an accident or had a heart attack or something, and they clinically died, you know, declared dead, but then maybe in hospital or something, they're resuscitated, brought back. And they came back with stories of having, in, when they were clinically dead, but having this experience of, you know, going into heaven or meeting with Jesus and these type of things, and how loads of people all over the world have one of the common features of these, which have been investigated, you know, in journals, scientific journals, etc., of meeting a man of light and love, seeing a man of light and love. And many recognize or realize that this person is Jesus. And this often comes as a, as a surprise to them, because many of the people who had these encounters, they didn't know of Jesus or believe in Jesus before. So one who's in the a series, a lady called Heidi Bauer, who's from a Jewish atheist background, has one of these encounters with this man of light and love, and then she realizes that it's Jesus. And uh, when she, rec- she had this horse riding injury, and when she recovered, she went on to give her life to Jesus. And many had these amazing encounters, and you can find it on our website if you want to have a little look more. Anyway, moving on. So with Jesus, as he's up there, And the disciples are seeing this. They also see Moses and Elijah. And so they get kind of get a glimpse into heaven as well. And as we saw at the start of the talk, these two are the the key figures who represent the Old Testament. Moses, that first part of the story of God making a covenant with the people. And then Elijah, kind of the main prophet who reminded them of the things of this covenant and what God had called them to do. But as the story goes on, as you read through the Old Testament, you see how the people didn't stick to their side of the covenant. And they, you know, they weren't able to to fulfill their part, if you like. But because God is faithful, he doesn't abandon them. He doesn't abandon it. But he comes into the world himself as a man, Jesus. And Jesus comes to represent all the people and fulfills the covenant and keeps the covenant on their behalf. And he does what no person had been able to do as we looked at earlier, and that's why they refer to what he was about to do is his exodus. Okay, but isn't it amazing that Moses and Elijah, in their time, who were faithful and were following God and were leading the people, 
that what a privilege for them that God gives them this little part of Jesus' story as well, that they have an encounter with Jesus, and they get to like be there just in this moment to stand with Jesus. You know, they were calling the people to fulfill the covenant, and you know, they couldn't do it, but now they get to stand with the very person that God has sent to fulfill the covenant on the people's behalf, and because of their faithfulness, God almost like rewards them that you can stand with Jesus as well. Isn't that amazing? And you can be a part of it. And they get to be there. And they get to see it. I think it's amazing. Wow. But <laughs> I love it. What an amazing thing for Moses. It's just like a gift. You know, God didn't have to do it, but a gift that he gives to Moses and to Elijah. I think that's amazing, God's kindness. Okay, so this little next bit now, we see the disciples' reaction, which kind of is a little bit of a lesson for us. And it says this. I love this. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. <laughs> Have you ever like fallen asleep at like a crucial moment? You know, you've missed your train stop or something because you've fallen asleep. Could you imagine this is going on up the mountain? And not all the disciples of it, only Peter, James, and John have been picked to go up and they've fallen asleep. They almost miss it. Oh my days. Anyway, they've fallen asleep. And what a wake up to have as well. It's funny, when we take Josiah places, sometimes he's fallen asleep in the car, and then he suddenly wakes up somewhere completely different. And he's like, what the heck is going on? Could you imagine waking up to this? When they wake up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with them. And a cloud appeared. This kind of um, God presence would often kind of appear as a cloud so people could recognize it. A cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. There it was again. They were afraid when they kind of encountered the awesomeness of God's presence, and probably because they just woke it up as well. <laughs> and then a voice from the cloud says, God speaks to them audibly and says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. That's important, isn't it? Listen to him. And then Matthew records this next little bit. It says, the disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. And then Jesus came over and touched them and says, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone and they saw only Jesus. And so the disciples in this moment, they get a glimpse of the power and the glory of Jesus. And this guy that they'd been hanging out with and you know, sleeping rough with and eating together, now they are in no doubt who Jesus is. And when they hear God's voice, listen to him, they fall face to the ground, afraid. But what does Jesus do? He goes up to them and touches them on the shoulder. Don't be afraid. I'm for you. I'm with you. I'm here for you. Don't be afraid. And they walk down the mountain together. So here we see for us too, as followers of Jesus, that we want to be like Moses was, that we know that Jesus is our friend. He's the one who touches us. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm walking with you. I'm for you. I'm your rescuer. I love you. But also, Jesus is our Lord. And God says, listen to him. Listen to him. That yes, we walk with him, but really we follow after him. And where Jesus leads, we follow. And as we do, we know him as friend. We know him as rescuer. We know him as the one who loves us, and we experience all the good things that he has for us and for others as well. And so that brings our Moses series to an end, and it leads nicely <laughs> into our series next week. We're going to be looking at how Jesus called people to follow him 
And it's like Jesus' stories in the boats. We'll chat about a bit more about that next week. So from the sea this week to the sea next week. I didn't think of that. Um, but as we finish Moses, you know, Moses, he was reluctant at first. He lacked confidence and he was afraid. But as he took the small steps, first of all, to go to his, God said, go with your brother Aaron. And so he speaks to his brother Aaron. And they decide to go back together. And he goes back. And his small steps, but one step at a time, as he begins to put the things that God says into practice little by little, he sees God do amazing things. And so let's take that on board as well. Sometimes we might lack confidence, we might be afraid, but we know who God is. He calls us for a reason. He promises to be with us. And he is performing a rescue in our time that we get to be a part of as well. So we can be inspired by him. So why don't I pray to wrap it up? Father God, I thank you that you are amazing, that you are so powerful and mighty. And yet you call us friend, that you meet us with compassion, that your heart is to rescue, that your heart is to love, and for us to know you face to face, just like Moses knew you face to face. I thank you that because of Jesus, you call us into friendship with you face to face. And I pray for every single person in this room right now and watching online and who's been joining in. I ask, would you meet us again with the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would know you close, that we would know you face to face, and we would know the calling on our lives, that you call us friend to be together and to do life together, because you want others to know you as friend as well. And I pray, would you help us as we take journeys of faith and step out in adventures like Moses did, that we would see you do great things through us as well to rescue, and to bring your kindness into our city. In Jesus' name, amen.